Where'd everybody go? There isn't anybody. Just us. Oh, come on. There isn't a person or a thing alive in this town. And yet... What? We're being watched. No. Now you're getting delusions. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope that you enjoyed our discussion about the Jeopardy room last week. Um, I hope that you didn't just take uh, the, the the poison wine that was clearly poison wine from the guy that wants to kill you. That seems like a pretty safe bet to not do that. And if you're listening, you probably didn't. And if you did, well, yeah, that, that'd be weird. How are you don't answer to, the phone. Yeah, you yeah. didn't answer the phone yeah, either. Great, so, yeah. yay, good on you. Yeah, I just got it. Boris? All right, anyway, so, uh, yeah. That, um, so, now we're on to uh, Season 5, Episode 30, Stopover at a Quiet Town. Uh, air date is April 24th, 1964. Number one film, The Carpetbaggers. We talked about that previously. Number one song, it Can't Buy Me Love, The Beatles. Um, never heard of them. All right. So then, uh, what I have here for day and date, I got something for the 24th and then something for the 27th, uh, the 24th air dates. Thieves stole the head of the little mermaid statue in Copenhagen. Uh, the Danish government announced that the stolen head could not be, if it was not found, um, a new head would be cast from the original mold and just welded onto the statue. I think that's just that funny. Jokes like, on them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember years ago, I went to the Football Hall of Fame and they had all the busts of all the different, you know, inductees. Uh, this will tell you, um, this will date my time there. They had the bust of OJ Simpson's head there. And like everything was just like open and like you're not supposed to interact with everything, but people were touching everything. So I thought it would be funny to touch the bust of OJ Simpson's head. Um, and then like, what was it like a week or two later, it got stolen from the Hall of Fame. Someone just walked in with the sack and tipped it in and walked out. And then, I, and then I had that weird panic moment. I'm like, if they find that thing and dust it for prints, they're going to find my fingerprints on OJ Simpson's head. Um, you know, but you know, I'm still here, so they didn't catch me. I, but they ended up finding the the bus like an underpass on like Interstate 90 around Cleveland <laughs> because where they should you, have found like, OJ too. Yeah, like, what, like, what, like you stole OJ Simpson's head. What are you going to do with it? You know. Right. So that just reminds um, me of the Simpsons episode. <laughs> where, yeah, the, the, the statue uh, where they cut the head off of. Um, I forget the name of the statue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah I always forget it too. It, it's like it's something the, Springfield, right? It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the guy you see in the beginning of every episode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so actually, I take that back. I have uh, three things. The second thing that happened this day was Cedric the Entertainer was born. So I think that's important because I know um, you know a lot of people do like him. He likes to entertain. He yeah. does like to entertain. Yeah. I, what do, like I just didn't realize that his family name was the Entertainers. That feels like a weird thing to be like, you know, it's the Entertainers. We're welcome our baby boy Cedric of the Entertainers. You know, that's a bad joke. Anyway, um, welcome to the show, everybody. It's bad jokes. That's what I do here. <laughs> Uh, Monday the 27th, um, I hope that I am an entertainer sometimes. Um, the Tobacco Institute, an American trade group of the, uh, the nation's cigarette manufacturers, announced that the companies had agreed on a code for future advertising that would guarantee that ads and commercials would not represent that cigarette smoking is essential to social prominence, distinction, success, or sexual attraction. Specifically, the tobacco companies agreed to no longer use endorsements by athletes and celebrities to discontinue um, distributing free cigarette samples to persons under 21 and to halt promotions on school and college campuses. So, um, you know, that's obviously that was very too little at the time to do that. But think about 
how full tilt that was before that moment. Like Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, like, no, seriously, Mad oh, Men. Oh, yeah. Um, and if, if anybody's watched that series from beginning to end, it starts off with like heavy, um, like a lot of money involved in cigarette advertisements. And then through the course of those years, the show is set, things start kind of hitting the wall. And reality starts kind of coming in where they're like, oh, we can't, we can't just depend upon cigarette money anymore. Like, and not a whole lot changed either. Even when I was uh, younger, I remember they got rid of billboards that had uh, cigarette advertising. That's here in Ohio. I don't know if that's a, I think, I think it's national. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Cause I remember seeing Marlboro and uh, camel cigarettes. Joe cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Joe. Yeah. Especially the Joe cool thing, because I mean, they're trying to like elicit a a younger audience, but like like a younger smoker. Joe cool. And you got your Spuds McKenzie Bud Light or Budweiser shirt, you know? That worked on me. <laughs> I had a Spuds McKenzie shirt. I was an idiot kid, you know? Um, then you got to get your Marlboro Miles. You got to smoke yeah. all the cigarettes to maybe all of them. Like, get a jet or whatever it was. Uh, yeah. Like, it would be like the dumbest shit, though. It would be like, oh, you want a, uh, like a, 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 a raft that's made out of like the thinnest plastic ever, and then you can go down the water like slide and then it just bursts at the, at, yeah, at the it's bottom. Like, uh, it's like here's uh if you, if you smoke enough, you get a Marlboro branded iron lung. Like you could work towards that. <laughs> no, no, my mom actually, she was a heavy smoker. And I remember at one point she sent away enough miles to get like three wallets, like leather wallets. Mm. Um, one for uh, my brothers and myself. Um, and that thing lasted me a very long time. So I will say that, um, I, I, I'm not saying that thanks cigarettes for giving me a wallet the last a while, but that wallet did work for quite a while. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't buy any cigarettes. So who knows? But I'm, yeah, I'm glad that they started to change shit. I mean, it, it, they it still took a while. They, they but, still weren't owning up to yeah. it's like internally. They knew, they knew they were causing damage, right? All the, the cigarette manufacturers, yeah. but this was them finally being like, eh, maybe, maybe, yeah. you know, while we have our, our host, uh, Mr. Serling, just smoking like a freight yeah. train. Yeah, you know, PSA, like, you shouldn't be smoking anyways. But yeah, so like, I'm glad that they did started to do something to change the tides a little bit. Yeah, know. it's like we got to stop giving out free samples to under 21 and then stop promotions on school. School and college campuses, that means high school. Yeah. Like just, yeah, um, whatever. Anyway, so that that's, that's what I have for day and date. I don't know if you have anything else. No, I didn't. Okay, so let's just get into our... Our, our cast and crew here. All right. So our director on this episode is a returning Ron Winston. Uh, no cigarette puns there. Um, yeah. So, uh, of, the, of the Winston Salem's. Um, um, yeah. So uh, last of three episodes for the Twilight Zone he had done. Uh, he also did uh, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Excellent episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, very memorable. And The Big Tall Wish, which was another good episode. Not great, but it was good. No, it was I, good. I, yeah. it just, I mean, but those are both season one episodes. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street is one of the one of the, the highlights of the series. And then and, some Playhouse 90. Yes. So. so I have that. That's all I have for Mr. Winston. And guess who's back as our writer? <laughs> Mr. Earl Hamner. Junior, yeah, he's back. So good news. Um, this is the seventh of eight Twilight Zone episode scripts. So the good news is we only have one more to go. Bad news is it's the very last episode of the series. So dun, 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 dun. yeah, uh, but we'll see how we feel about this Hamner script. Yeah, I, we're going to get into this, but yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, he, he contributed quite a bit. Um, uh, you may have heard us talk about him in the past, but you know, his biggest claim to fame was the Waltons. So which okay, yeah, can I just when we I know we're going to the episode proper. The Waltons is a wholesome family show. Mm-hmm. Has he written one likable character in any of the episodes? Like in terms of like generally a good character that you care about in any of these episodes we've seen. I'm going to go with no. <laughs> I mean, like I don't get any warmth, you know, or like it just, I mean, there's like, there's bits and pieces in this episode, but for someone that would go on to be like, like Americana, right? Just, well, the yeah. Jezebel episode was very like Southern and how it was written yeah. and the characters and like where they were placement wise and that. But Again, like you were saying, there were no likable characters in that at all. Yeah, what was his name? Uh, Billy Bob. Um, yeah, yeah. What, Billy, I would say Billy Bob Thornton. That's no. not that wasn't his name. But Billy, uh, Billy Joe. Billy, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Billy, Billy Jean Joe Job Thornton. I don't know. Uh, 
uh, pork chop. I don't know. Anyway, so pork chop, yeah, pork chop, Thornton. I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll get more into the Hamner here, like in his script here in a minute. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, Hamner's had some, some, um, some ups. I'm going to put like a lowercase U there and then some downs with a very capital D down. Um, we talked about him already this season with a uh, ring a ding girl, uh, black leather jackets, um, I think there's another one that we've already talked about this season because he also did Jezebel that you mentioned, a uh, piano in the house, um, the hunt. Um, yeah, I'm not, uh, just uh, uh, just the best thing about Jezebel. That cat was a witch. That's that's the best thing Hamner's done for me uh, so far. It will live on forever. Yeah. Um. So into our cast, we it's very thin cast here, but uh, we have uh, Barry Nielsen. Um, he plays Bob Fraser. Uh, ninety-five episodes of My Favorite Husband. He was in The Shining, and he was in an episode of Monsters, which we have covered in the past. Um, no, we've actually we've never no? covered an episode of Monsters. We no? need to. Oh, uh, we've wow. talked about it. Yeah, that's another fun syndicated anthology series. It ran uh, alongside like um, Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, a, so a we, Canadian production. Um, if anybody has uh, some favorite Monsters episodes, because that was actually a pretty big syndication for... Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, and I think a lot of... Well, last time I checked, uh, there's like at least three seasons on Amazon And Prime. we've talked about them. Uh, yeah. talked about the series in the past because of uh, these these different actors have been connected through the twilight zone. So I'm really surprised. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so reach out to us folks. Uh, I think that might've been one of his last roles was on monsters, right? I think, yeah. yeah. I so, think it was literally his last. Yeah. So, um, so next here we well, have, I have some other stuff about oh, Mr. I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Barry Nelson here. Uh, so uh, he, you mentioned the shining. He was Mr. Ullman that actually uh, interviewed. Hired. Yeah. He hired uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's character. So very important scene, weird scene, like every mo- scene in that movie. But mm. yeah, like that's why Kubrick, like, I, you like, say yeah Kubrick <laughs> yeah right uh so he actually was the first person to play James Bond on screen in 1954's adaptation of Casino Royale it was an anthology series called Climax uh so it reportedly this was considered a pilot for a possible James Bond television series uh though it wasn't known if Nielsen was coming back to play the character he played Bond as an American agent in the program called Jimmy so his name was Jimmy Bond uh, like and so in 2004, Nelson said at the time no one had ever heard of James Bond. I was scratching my head, wondering how to play it. I hadn't read the book or anything because of it, because it wasn't well known. <laughs> so Bond, like we talked about already, like two two of the Bond films have come out. I think during the course of the Twilight Zone, uh, but they, they said Bond didn't become a well known as a, as a character in the U.S. until uh, Kennedy listed it w- from Russia with Love among his favorite books, his ten favorite books in '61. Um, so that's where it kind of started to pick up speed. But considering that was 61, that was seven years after uh, Frazier, uh, sorry, Barry Nelson played James Bond first. So he's the first Bond. So that's kind of cool. That's wild, man. I had yeah. no idea. I, I I saw that credit on his IMDb, but I had, you know, the show. Yeah. I didn't have any idea that that was like his character on it. Oh, that's wild. Um, well, next here we have uh, Nancy Malone. Uh, she plays Millie, uh, Bob's wife. Uh, she was in 51 episodes of Naked City. We've we've kind of talked about that in the past, but I think this is the the actor has had the most credits, actress rather, um, for that series. Okay. Um, some Outer Limits, and she was also a director as well. So she did some episodes yeah. of Dynasty and Melrose Place. And she became, in 1976, she became the first female vice president of television at 20th Century Fox. So I'm um, talking about, like, you know, moving forward, that's, you know, she... That's awesome. She had, a, you know, a, a bigger career um, outside of um, being in front of the camera. So I think that's important to note. And then um, the last kind of, like, weird credits here that we have um denise lynn she plays little girl we'll get into that later no other credits none hey, you know what they say there's there's no um there's no small parts right i'm kidding that's that you, <laughs> we'll get to that later uh um, so and then uh, yeah uh, 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 karen noted uh, karen norris is our last credit here she plays mother um the she was in the manchurian candidate the original film and and some uh the lucy show 
Okay. I have her in one episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And then also, just because I looked, the, the title of this film is so great. It's like, I had to I had to read about it. 1968's The Destructors. I love this name. That's a great name for the a movie. Destructors. Wait till I read to you the premise. This is batshit stupid. I love it. Um, foreign agents are after a substance called, after a substance called Laser Rubies. That can power a killer laser beam. Uh, government agents are dispatched to protect uh, the rubies um, and eliminate the foreign agents. A substance called laser rubies. This sounds like something right out of Austin Power. Uh, yeah, a little bit, right? But just my gosh, like Freaking lasers. But but like laser lasers and rubies. They're I mean, the, one's a plasma, right? I think I think that's what lasers are. And the ruby, like it's it's a mineral, right? It's a whatever. It's not it's not a substance. Wrong I mean, podcast, man. I have no I, idea. I just, anyway, <laughs> I, someone's going to correct me on all this and be like, yeah, you, you know, they're like laser rubies are actually quite common in nature. Like they'll be like, okay, fine, you know, whatever. So yeah, I just I had to the destructors. That's just every like there there's movies and shows that we come across here. The names of that cannot possibly live up to how awesome they sound like in my head, right? Yeah, and that's one that, of them. That's well put. The Destructors. This sounds like some kind of like D-list, like Marvel team of like just unknown shitbag heroes that no one cares about. That's like kind of like the Suicide Squad, but like even worse. Like they're not even that great at their job. Isn't they're, uh isn't the one uh Transformer named Destructor? Well, there's there's the Destructicons. <laughs> Destructicons. Yeah, 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 which you know they they, 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 they morph into and they, um oh oh, oh what well, they well, they morph into they 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 all change into because they're the the ones that are made out of they're uh like they're, construction vehicles yeah they are construction equipment and, and they uh, become devastator devastator that's, that's yeah right. yeah all right so but that's neither here nor there we uh did. yeah <laughs> devastator's awesome destructors i don't know but anyway let's just let serling uh talk to us here about a stopover in a quiet town bob and millie frazier average young new yorkers who attended a party in the country last night and on the way home took a detour most of us on waking in the morning know exactly where we are. The rooster or the alarm clock brings us out of sleep into the familiar sights, sounds, aromas of home and the comfort of a routine day ahead. Not so with our young friends. This will be a day like none they've ever spent, and they'll spend it in the twilight zone. So Terry, I gotta ask you a question. Uh, have you ever drank so much that you forgot to untie your tie and take off your jacket and just go to bed? I, uh, there was one time that I was at a convention and I got so drunk that I didn't even take my boots off. And that, <laughs> um, this was, uh, and mind you, this was a time where I used to wear knee high boots. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was a crazy night. I drank a little bit much that night. Uh, I knew exactly where the hell I was at least though. Yeah, that's fair. Like just, uh, I was puking my guts out and just, I was like, well, shoes, they're not important right now. <laughs> I guess some priorities, right? But it's just, uh, yeah, like I would imagine that if you're wearing like a tie that even, even like, you know, you would like loosen it. Like he, we, we meet, uh, the Frasers, like, you know, he's rumpled getting out of this bed, but like he didn't do, I don't know. It's what his hair is looking pretty good too. Still. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's some good pomade. I need to get that. Yeah. Whatever right. that like spray concrete in there to get yeah. going. Um, some laser rubies. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we find the Frasers waking up in this room, uh, that Millie's telling Bob, like, you know, like, like get up, you know, like he's hung over. I mean, she's not that much better, but they're waking up in a room. They don't know. They're both still dressed. Uh, I like that. Like she's given him grief for staying dressed. And then she gets up and she's like, Oh crap, I'm dressed too. You know, like, yeah, she still has her heels on. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you, Anyway, and that, yeah. that must be the biggest tell because they focused in on the shoes too. Like, oh, no woman would ever do this. Yeah, they also made it a point <laughs> uh, to show that this was one of only one of two episodes of the Twilight Zone where you had a couple uh, together in the same bed. Uh, and the reason they got away with it here, because normally you'd have the twin bed separated, right? was because they were fully clothed. So there was no, there was no implication that there oh, was the sex that panky, happened yeah. between a married couple and a bed, you know? So anyway, um, I think the other one was person or persons unknown was the other time we saw. Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but so that, yeah, it, they think start off weird. Um, this, this whole thing becomes a big argument about like, well, uh, if you weren't too drunk last night, you could have driven us home. And then he was like, well, you clearly, you did like, it's becomes an argument about who was the worst person that night that who, sorry, who was the least worst that could have been driving a car going home. And that, that argument lasted the whole episode. 
Yeah, like, it's, it's weird. It's it's a, a nagging uh, thing for both of them to like kind of rib each other about. Not really, real. The one guy calls it. What did he call it? Um, like you're, you're pinning me or something like that. I don't. I don't know what it was. I, yeah, I just some terminology they, they, I've never um, heard in my life. They, I just, I never got the idea. Needling, actually, yeah. needling. That's it. it. You know, this is where I'm gonna throw this at Hamner. I don't really think you, you don't get the vibe that they actually care about each other until like. Towards the end, there's like one little soft moment between yeah. the two of them, and that's it. Like the rest of this time, it's just they're both miserable. He's hungover. Um, they don't know what's going on. He was like, clearly, someone was kind enough to put this in this house, you know. And it's like, you know, let's let's figure out what's going on. He's like, they probably already have bacon and everything waiting. He's like, I can smell it. And then, you know, like it's just they go downstairs. Um, well, she mentions before that all she remembers is driving home when a shadow appeared overhead and that's all she can remember. And then he makes the comment is like, Oh, that means, you know, you probably hit another car and, and she's like, what? And he's like, or another car hit us. I'm like, you're pretty flip about car violence. Like I know it's the sixties and everything's made of steel. Like, but come on. Like if you're, you're like, you know, we probably hit somebody. Yeah. Maybe there's bacon. <laughs> that was weird. So yeah, so they uh, end up going downstairs to meet their their hosts. And like, oh, maybe if they brought us here, you know, they're they're going to be nice people. They they were looking out for us, and they go downstairs, and there's no one there. There's nope. nobody there. There's no sign of anybody being there. There's no like cookware out or anything like that. And so Bob's like, you know what? I'm going to make a call. Let me let me figure out where we're, where we're at, how we can get out of here. I think he even says that he wants to call a cab or something like that. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. He goes over to the phone that's uh, hanging on the wall, and he rips that some bitch off the wall. <laughs> it's like all hulking out over here. Well, it's not even. It's like it looks like it was just hung up by like the loose, like you know, because yeah. it was um like a. It, it's like the little hooks on the back of like yeah. you would do like a a picture or something like that. Well, because that's how you would do a wall mount wall mounted phone. Then was right. like you'd have the screws and it would mount right. Like, but there's no kid, wiring. Yeah, kids, ask your your parents about rotary phones that would be on the wall. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he goes to pick it up. But so the the most the part that I had the hardest time believing is that when he grabs the the receiver, he takes the whole phone. Uh, like the receiver should lift out the cradle right but knowing that it's a it's not real i guess that's okay but it's like like weird that it looks like he's just holding like an iron in his hand like an iron like you'd like iron clothes with and yeah it and just, it's still know. attached when yeah. he puts it back on the yeah. wall too i'm like and you know of course uh melly's like what are you doing there freak like <laughs> yeah rip it off the wall he's like, like it's not even wired in and she's like not understanding him and he's right there's no wiring right. behind the phone so it's just there and then she it, it, she's like you need to put it back on a wall. So he puts it right back into location too. And I just, I, you know, it's, it's just a goofy scene because it's like, what's the difference? It's not wired anyway. So like, what kind of like weirdos live here? Um, it's like misery. You've seen misery and then he lifts up the phone and there's no guts in the phone, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, but you know, like, but this is a gag. Well, it's not even a gag. It's a, it's a plot point that gets repeated. Uh, over and over again for the rest of the episode, which I don't, I don't blame the episode for it, but like, what is it? Like you show me enough times, like we get it. Things are weird. Right. It, it, yeah. It's been uh, shows that do it in a similar way too, where it's just like, all right, well, we understand that this isn't the normal world. What else do you need to show me? Which they do it immediately after this. And um, Millie goes to reach into one of the cabinet drawers to pull out, I don't know. Something. I don't. She some, wanted a pencil, is what yeah. she was looking for. And so she pulls on the drawer handle, and it pulls the wood right off of there. Yeah. And it's basically the cabinet facings, and they're attached to just a plank of wood. It would be like walking into a demo room at like um a, like a a Home Depot or something, where they're just showing you the exterior of like cabinets and whatever, right? Like, right. like if you if you go to like a target and they yeah. have bedding and then you pull back the bedding and it's just plywood underneath the bed. It's yeah. all fake. It's just a facade to show you yeah. what it's supposed to look like. So that like, that like how they're like, Oh, like they're just blaming each other for breaking things or whatever, which, you know, that's what you do when you're hungover. Uh, and then, then they go to open the fridge. Uh, and that's like, that that's my, my favorite part of all the gags is that the fridge actually opens and inside is just uh, fake food. Yeah, like, fake loaf of bread. Uh, the, the, the fake loaf of bread's amazing. I love the fake <laughs> loaf of bread. I was waiting for him to like hit it over her head or something like that. Look at this. It's gr- it's really hard, you know. And just like just take it, throw it against the wall, leaves a hole in the wall, you know, like whatever. You know, from the top rope, and it just like hits her with it. Well, um, I mean, have you have you seen um, any of Arrested Development? 
Did you watch any of that? No, I have not. The part, like, I mean, over the course of the five so seasons, they live in a model home because they they, they have this whole real estate thing going on. So they have fake fruit uh, and all, and like, and and the furniture they have is display furniture, so it's not good quality. So like, over the course of the, the seasons, this house starts like getting in worse and worse shape because of it's all like this near prop level stuff. But at one point, like they had the fake fruit lying out, and like every so often, like there would be the gag of someone not paying attention and taking a bite. <laughs> something you know like <laughs> so this is what this felt like um so uh yeah so we get that and then that's when we hear a kid laugh um and then they're you know they're on their way out the door that's when we get serling uh in his intro um you know yeah it's so we we already know there there's some place they don't know things are weird things are fake and we're hearing a kid laugh um, it's a pretty good starting hook for an episode of the twilight zone. Now I will say this, and I, I know it was a, a mistake, uh, by the, the production crew in that, but I actually thought that there was something like played out here specifically. The handle of the fridge is pulled up. Like yeah. it's actually pulled out already and you see a shadow move past the fridge. I'm like, is this a tell here? Like, I don't know if it's like, they say, they, like they a say ghost it's a story. goof. I don't think it is. I think because you hear a noise that draws Bob's attention to the fridge. Mm-hmm. And we know the, 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 the moving shadow is a thing in this episode. I don't think that's a goof. I think somebody is reading it as a goof. Um, so, cause I mean, and if it is fine, that's, that stuff happens. Right. And but, it works. It plays well for the, the outcome. But of the this. fact that there's like a sound cue about something and Bob looks over at the fridge at that time. I don't know. You know, like, because I mean, especially if they're being uh, messed with, you know, this entire episode that, you know, you, I don't see why you couldn't believe that. I was get, I, the, the, the fact that it's laying that groundwork, though, I thought it was going a completely different direction, which we'll get to the outcome. But I was like, dude, this is this feels like a ghost story almost now at this mm-hmm. point where we're getting those kinds of cues in that. So I was really interested to this point yeah, so good, far. Like, good hook. Got, yeah, good pretty hook. Good yeah, I'll, I'll give you a Hamner. I know you're you're gone now. You got uh, us. You, you, you know, I'll give you this one. You win. You win this time so far, Hamner. <laughs> so far. Uh, so yeah. So then they go outside and like, there's other interesting things that you hear. Like, not well, not even here. Like the child laughs a lot, which everybody should be thankful that I almost played that as the intro. It's like 30 seconds of that kid laughing. It would have upset Terry. He would have punched me before we start recording. So I didn't do that. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Sound of children do not do well. Well, not even me. that. It's just like you could there's just like this constant just going on and 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 on. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. And it was uh not great, you know. Um so uh yeah, so they hear that and then they look around and they even mentioned that like there's nobody around and they, they there's there's an interesting statement of like there's no birds. There's no sound whatsoever, and, I, and and I'm, I don't, I think that there is no uh, music at this point either. There's no score or anything, so you really focus in on that element. Yeah, because Bob's like, wait a minute, just listen. There's nothing going on in this place. No well, animals. And, and then she makes the comment like, I don't have it exactly in my notes, but it's like, well, maybe the birds are being, um, you know, the considerate of your hangover. It's <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, and then they just start needling each other again, and it's like, come on, and it's like, and they talk more about. Who, who messed up driving and all this stuff again. And then uh, along the way, we see a squirrel uh, that Millie's excited to see. Squirrel. A squirrel. And she's like, oh, look, it must be tame, you know? And then she goes up to to pet it. And it's like, it's the squirrel just, like, the, the whole thing just falls Flops over. over and it. It's because it's like, it's it's stuffed. It's fake. And it's, it's a, like, on its own, it's a pretty funny gag. Like, I almost made a gif of it. Um, <laughs> Cause it's like, how could you not like walking up to this? How could you not tell this thing was like dead? You know, yeah, it is uh, glazed look in its eyes. And but she's like, it's fainted. And I'm like, nah, fainted squirrels don't have ropes attached to them. Like that keep them in trees. Uh, but whatever. So again, we now see that it's stuffed and then they're talking about like, you know, what, like where could everybody be at? And so when you mentioned, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Bob, Bob Winston that directed this episode. Oh, um, it was a Bob Winston. It was Winston. No, no, I'm sorry. Ron. Winston. Ron Winston. I'm sorry. sorry. I didn't know. No, 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 no. I got, no, no, you got, I got the name. Yeah. Three letter names messed up. Ron Winston directed the monsters Jerome maple street, which a lot of this episode used the same sound stages. So a lot of what you see them walking around was that same set. So I just wrote uh, in my notes here. Um, what would I got? I was like, there, there's like, there are no monsters. Uh, so no, there are no, no people at all that are doing maple street is what I wrote because it's the same area. He thinks everybody went to church. 
Because it's like, hey, yeah, it's a Sunday. They also did this thing too, talking about like how small towns are utterly terrible. And it's like, like, uh, this is like, at least if you go to the big city, at least I know I'm being looked at. It's like, well, that's a weird statement. But like, they just kind of bitch about how small towns are weird, which that's not an incorrect statement. But everything I'm seeing here doesn't look like a small town to me. It looks like just like a suburb, you know, like whatever. Anyway, I guess versus the city, you know. So they he decides that, hey, maybe everybody's at church. And so that's I of all the things that you got to tell yourself as everything's going weird on a Sunday in the middle of nowhere that I mean, I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. It's a reasonable uh, solution to where everybody could be. Cause um, you know, Millie says like, you know, nobody's around. They could be at like a meeting and uh meeting on a Sunday. It's like, ah, church, like uh, derp, you know, like of course if, if if it's Sunday and it's this early in the day, they gotta be at church. I mean, there's a lot of people to go to church in our area here too. So it's like, that's a reasonable explanation. Yeah. So they go to the church and he makes the whole thing about like, you know, uh, here's the church, here's the steeple, open all the doors. And then he doesn't see anybody, which I wish he'd, I wish he'd have been like, and there are no people like finish the rhyme if you're going to do it, but whatever. Uh, we hear, um, while he is doing that, uh, he decides that he's going to ring the bell. Uh, so he sends Millie out to, to look for people like, again, not an unreasonable thing to do. Cause she's like, don't do it. And he's like, I got to get somebody's attention. I'm going to ring this bell. It's like, well, I mean, cause, cause a problem. People will show up. That's probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, they ring 10 the- minutes of frustration. Why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was half expecting when he originally pulled the cord, I was half expecting it just to fall down on him and like nothing at all. <laughs> Take him out. Like not, no, not the bell, but like just the rope just oh. falls down. And it's like, this looks up and there's like no clapper in the bell or something. Like I was expecting that, you know? Um, but yeah, so he rings the bell. She's waiting. Uh, there, so there's a good moment here too. Whenever she, they're outside again, and she says she feels like she's being watched, and that's when we hear the kid laughing again. And I think somewhere along the way, like along the way, Bob says he's like, "It's that kid again." Like I thought that was a funny line. <laughs> um, but they they sit down. Oh, well, no, first they go to the tree. He's like, cause she's like, I want to see something real. And he's like, this tree is real. And then she hugs the tree and she's like, thank goodness. I could just kiss this tree. And then it tips over. She kisses it and it just falls over because it, it, it must've fainted. It's never like had the love. Yeah. It fainted like the squirrel. She just makes things fall over. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I find out that's fake too. <laughs> like, and then they sit down by the church. They're trying to, trying to pull themselves together. Uh, Bob lights a cigarette and hands her, well, he lights a match for her to smoke a cigarette and he throws the match down and all of a sudden she's like fire, you know? And I thought that was, uh, I thought that was funny because like, it's like, wow, like this place caught on fire pretty fast. And then he stomps it out and he's like, Oh, all this, all this grass is paper mache. Um, I think you would have maybe noticed that as you're like looking around before you entered the church, just Hamner, I'm putting that on you. I think I think the grass being paper mache would have been an odd thing to notice. Yeah, well, you know, or notice it earlier. Be- Beetlejuice type uh, scenario where they're they're on the, <laughs> the, the the astroturf or whatever it is, and like the, the miniature. Yeah, yeah. nice effing nice model, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So I did like that once it burned that little patch out. You see, like, um, just I don't know, like like a corrugated. Like Something. I don't know what it is. Like it's it's. I, it's strange, but but it definitely shows that it's fake. Yeah, whatever has been planted there, laid there, it, it's completely false. And that, that's a, that. I I actually I thought that was one of the better tells to what is going on throughout the rest of this oh, episode. For sure. Yeah, because I mean the cabinets, all that stuff, whatever. This is this is outside. This is like the the. Not, I don't want to say wilderness, but this is the the you know like the things that are supposed to be real. Yeah, it's you know trees and grass are supposed to be real. Yeah, you know like yeah. And so then that freaks them out, rightfully so. Uh, and then they uh, end up finding a car, and Bob's excited because he sees a person in it, and he's like, "Oh, you're the first person I've seen all day." And he goes to open the door, and it's a mannequin. <laughs> Pulls that dude out and rips his head off and throws him on the ground. Yeah. Um, so I, Fatality. I, I, I want to point out that this has a lot of throwbacks inadvertent uh, to the very first episode of The Twilight Zone, Where Is Everybody? Uh, because that guy was wandering around out of town. That, that town, though, it's like everything was... There, there was like... Um, 
stuff cooking on the stove. There were like a cigar lit. There like people had just walked just, off. Yeah, but there was also a lot of mannequins around too and weird and, and just somebody left alone with their thoughts of like, what happened? What What is going on? And so, yeah. Um, so that that felt very like like weirdly like an interesting callback. Uh, again, I don't know if that's what Hammer was going for, but being, you know, it's the Twilight Zone and we're towards the end. If it, if this had been the last episode, that would have been a really weird loop uh, to to have, right? But um, anyway, and, and I, yeah. I think that there's going to be some connective tissue there later on in our discussion. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that you made that that call because I was I was like, man, this feels so close to the original episode, our, our pilot episode. So yeah. I mean, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to have it that way. And then the way the fact that it actually goes a little different direction too is interesting. So he goes to start the car because he's like, screw this. The mannequin doesn't own it. Let's just get out of here. Um, and then you know the mannequin's like, I have three more payments on it. He doesn't say that. Uh, but they go to turn the car on. Doesn't work. He opens the hood and there's no engine in the car all the way through. You can see right through the <laughs> yeah. gr- to the like, ground. It's like it, it's worse than a Flintstones car, you know. Yeah, like uh, they're doing a hell of a job making sure that nobody's car is getting like forget the boot, just take the engine right out the yeah, SOB. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then that's when they sit down and uh, she. That's when you get that one moment of sweetness between them where they honestly share like a moment of kindness. And like, cause they realize like this, this is all screwed. And she even mentioned, she's like, she's like, we're in hell. Like, cause it's like, you know, we must die in a car crash. Well, there's also that needling that's still happening there too, uh, that we were talking about yeah. prior where Bob is like blaming her for driving them to that location. <laughs> and she just looks at him and you can see the frustration. And that's, I feel like that's why she got out of the car and she sat there and she's like, I didn't drive us here. You know, this isn't my fault. Yeah. We ended up here for some other reason. And then, you know, that's a big tell because, you know, people go through all these things and relationships and the struggles and that. And like, this feels real to me because I, I, not to tell too much, but I've been in these kinds of situations where it's like, who, who is the person at fault here? And there is a little bit of blame to push both ways. Yeah. And I, I, this feels like a real moment to me. It does. No. And like, and then like, what was it? She kisses his cheek. He kisses her forehead. Like they're going to, they're going to figure this out. Like, right. it's like, so it's like, you okay, fine. A moment of sweetness. And then, you know, and then I'll, when she says she feels like they're in hell, you hear a train whistle. So he's like, is there a train in hell? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, you know, there might be one. I don't, so. but so they, they hear a train, they, they go running to the train station and I just, I wrote my notes here. Next stop Cliffordville, uh, oh, no. Willoughby, <laughs> like, mm. but like as they're, they're excited to leave because, and then we found out the name of this place is Centerville, which I think is a funny name, all things considered. And they're like, okay, great. We're going to do this. And you know, we're getting out of here and he's talking about work or whatever. And then, then he pulls this, this shit bag move of being like, honey, come on, let's be honest. You had a couple drinks at the party too, right? She's like, I probably did. It's like, just gaslight her after you guys kind of like, you know, you still have to be right. (laughs) Like, I didn't like that. Like, give it up, dude. Who cares who's at fault now? Like, just get out of this situation. Yeah. Bob just was like, I got it. I got to get a little bit over on her now, you know, at least now (laughs) because she has a smile on her face. Now I don't have to feel like a jerk. Yeah. So then uh, the train the train pulls up to the next stop and it's uh, it's Centerville again, and I of all the th- like this whole this whole episode feels odd on purpose and I like it. This would be after all that this would be my moment of real dread because you're like finally a way out. We're right back where we started. Like her the look on her face is that that sells this like something is horribly wrong here and I that's when it became like. That 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 was the moment of like fear, and it worked for me. That moment of like pure like, shit, this is bad, you know. I, so I I bought her performance with that that moment. Yeah, and like just in her demeanor as well, like the look on her face looked she looked terrified at that yeah. point because, you know, like the there's sound cues here because you can hear the the train you know, leave the station, but then you can hear it start to slow down a little bit. And she's like, Oh, okay. I can open up the blinds again. Cause she wants to forget this world. She wants to forget this nightmare. Yeah. And when she opens those blinds again, and she sees the same exact sign, it's like, Oh no. And I like that. He's like, well, it could be a different Centerville. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's, it's South Centerville. Like, 
right? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's left of Centerville. It's at Centerville uh, Township. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, um, so they they get off the train. Um, they're like, we're going to find the road out of here. Uh, we're going to walk, keep going. And uh, at one point, she's like, I'm going to take my heels off because I I want to run. And then at one point, he's like, you, he's like, we should save our energy. And she's and I forget what she said something along the lines of like, um. Uh, I, I, I said something. I'd gallop like a horse or something to get out of town. It's like, yeah, we 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 got to go. This is we're done here, you know. And they they try to book it out of town. Um, Terry, I'll let, let you take the rest of this because this is when it goes from weird to weirder. And then suddenly you can see this uh, expression on both Bob and Millie's face. Well, because they go, they look at the sun, right? Cause she's like, we only have a few more hours of daylight, and they look up. Yeah, and that's what. Yeah, that's what and, and while they look up, they see something that fills them with dread. You can see this look of terror on their faces, and they see we see this big shadow too at the same point, and they start running from the shadow, whatever that whatever it is in the sky. They're trying to run from it, and we see a little bit of them like trying to juke the the shadow whatever it is and finally um millie ends up falling hurting her ankle or something like that and they're on the sidewalk and then the shadow bears down on them and we see what the shadow is we see what this figure is and it's a big giant hand coming down to swoop them up yep and when they are swooped up and they are in the palm of this hand we notice that it is a child a young girl maybe about four five yeah and she just is looking at them in her palm laughing and we see we the camera pans back and we see that the town is actually this like model train set that it's all been placed in and that's like that's our setting we they have been in this false like town it's a play set it's a play set and that's where they've been and we hear uh the mother in the background saying to the little girl like Hey, you know, got to come down for dinner and all that. And um, the little girl says, well, hey, I still want to play. And she's like, well, put your pets away and you can play with them later. She's like, you know, there's something along the lines of two. It's like your your father brought those all the way from Earth. <laughs> yeah. So they have been abducted to be placed into this little play set for this little girl. And then she she says, oh, OK, and puts them back into the play set. And they run off, and that's the end of our episode. Yeah. Um, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. So, did they? Obviously, first time watch for both of us. Uh, well, I mean, I, I believe I I I'd never seen this episode before. I don't think you had either. I have not. No. Uh, so, like, what did you think about that that ending? Like, in terms of everything going on, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I didn't really expect it. The the little child thing was kind of freaking me out. That's why I was thinking, leaning towards like the ghost story thing, okay. especially because of the shadows and everything. But uh, I didn't really expect this ending. Like I, I didn't I didn't know where it was going. I was surprised. I was really surprised. Fair enough. For whatever reason, once we were in the kitchen and then they came out and they heard the child laugh, I was like, I was like. They're, I was like, they're in a dollhouse. Like, I, I don't know what it was. Like, something just clicked in my head. I don't know if it's just something that, like, you got that Twilight Zone radar, like, that just kind of pops up. But there was a movie in the 70s or early 80s, and I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. It was a family that was in, um, it's basically the same setup. They're, like, in a Barbie dream home, but they don't know it. And the, you're, you're from the perspective of them trying to get out. And it's, like, crazy because they ended up, like, chopping through the floor of like the living room and they find like styrofoam and then they end up hitting like metal and it has like this like imprinted word on it and stuff. And then at one point there's like this big, like goopy, like gross, like uh, mess in the living room. And it turns out like once you find everything going on, the kid had left like a piece of chocolate in there that melted and got all over the place. But the people didn't know that, like it was getting really, really weird. Hmm. And I just, something about that. I've always remembered those images because once the family thought they're getting out, they got put back on the bed and they're just kind of exhausted because they tried everything to get out of this house, but it was a dollhouse. There, like, there was an episode of um, Are You Afraid of the Dark where uh, the girl was in a, a dollhouse. Yeah, you're right. There was one. I forget. The, it's the probably the tale of the girl that liked horses or something. I don't know. The name. Like, submitted for your approval. The girl in the house that's not her house. See, I like I, I did, wasn't even thinking about those episodes or, or those movies or those narratives or whatever um, when I was watching this. And it, it took me by surprise. I'll, I'll, you know, I mean, that's good. I mean, I, 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 I liked, so it, what took me by surprise was that, 
Um, it's because it's a Hamner script that actually, this is the most Twilight Zone thing he's written. I, and I like, I'll say that's that, very fair. I think, I think it's, uh, this one actually feels like he was kind of channeling like what the, like where the show was going. Not that like, sure. He wrote scripts that were submitted. So those were all, you know, those are all part of the Twilight Zone too. Right. But like, this was the, like, what is going on? And now here's your twist. We, the rest of those episodes of his, I've never gotten that vibe from like, it's more of like, I don't know, like this has, this has a little bit of a hammer of an ending and I, a hammer of an ending. And I, I appreciate that a lot more than his other output to this point. You know, and I, I agree with you completely. Uh, when I was describing this episode to my wife, I was telling her because of the more recent episodes that we've been covering, um, this one felt like the Twilight Zone to me. Like yeah. this is like the blueprints of what the Twilight Zone is supposed to be, and I was satisfied by that alone. That the, the the those implements were already there, you know. Yeah, and just considering, like you know, we're in the the home stretch here of the series, uh, you know, not that we need to have the same thing, you know, retread over and over and over again, right? But to get something that feels squarely within why this show was successful to begin with. Cause had this been like a season one episode, people would have been like, what? Like they would have lost their minds, yeah. you know, like, um, but we, like, I mentioned, where is everybody? So that's a similar theme. I mean, like, uh, what else? Um, there's a couple other episodes we've had. That's kind of dealt with this similar, like, uh, uh, people are like all over when yeah. we had the guys go to Mars and like they end up, he ends up in the prop house that turns out to be a zoo exhibit. Exactly. You know? So we get, you get and even like, um, you know, you even get the ex- examination of uh, observation, which even miniature kind of approaches that in a different light. Um, like, so th- there's, you know, you, you get, uh, you get all these different shades of this. And this is a, this is a fun way to go with it too. Even, uh, what was the name of that one from season three, um, where the two guys were fighting. Um, and it turns out they found a tiny civilization, uh, on their, um, whatever. I forget the, the name of it now, but turns out they were looking at this tiny civilization and they fought over it. And then it turns out there was giants looking at them. Um, whatever it was. So yeah, you get, you get the, those things too. So, uh, yeah, we get, we get these, this has been revisited multiple times, but, uh, still a fun little, uh, episode and just, yeah, I dug it. So anyway, I'm gonna look up that episode title while, while if you have any other thoughts, it's going to bug me that season three episode. Um, yeah, I said I don't have many more thoughts. I, I I'm glad that it went this direction right after the episode that we watched previously, which I really enjoyed that episode. But the the Jeopardy room, like it's it, it's a cool episode, but that one didn't feel like the Twilight Zone to me. Um, and not every episode has to be Sorry. the little people. Uh, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Well, but even if you want to go to like scale, like the invaders kind of, this is kind of the flip of that. I, a little I was bit thinking too. about the invaders as well, yeah. well, you know? Um, so yeah, like there, there's little, little things that are connective tissue to a lot of different other episodes, but you know, like we're still getting something a little different and that's cool. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm glad that we had this type of episode again after something that didn't feel so twilight zone and drastically different from another, uh, dummy episode too, which we got prior. Yeah. To, that's, uh, yeah. Cause you're right. Caesar me felt like that was not a rehash. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, this was a pleasant surprise. Um, I, I'll give it that. I, I think my frustrations with it are that, I really don't like the characters. I don't like the, the, the characters at all. Um, I'm going to like, normally I'd play some kind of little weird audio on the way out. I'm going to play Serling's outro, um, for the episode, like, you know, his little wrap up. This becomes like the weirdest PSA for drunk driving I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, Brad, I, I, I kind of see where you're coming from, but I, I don't get it. Like I, I, if they were completely sober, wouldn't they have still got abducted? <laughs> wrong place, yes. yeah, wrong like, time. Yeah, I don't. I don't think like uh, the spaceman came down. But, like, show me your drunkest humans. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's like fire like, in the sky. Uh, you if see, you're drunk, you, you just see Paul floating up in the air. Like, oh, oh, well, all right, I guess he's going to Tiny Town now. You know, whatever. Uh, Tiny Town. Uh, yeah. Um, so what? <laughs> whatever. Uh, it's yeah. You're right. Like you know, they were just driving home, and the the shadow passed overhead. So. Um, it didn't matter if, I mean, no, you shouldn't drunk drive. That's bad. 
right? But like Rod just kind of turns, he's like, hey, next time if you have a couple drinks or if your wife has too many, it's like, I've never heard Rod like be like, I don't, I don't think he was intentionally being like sexist. I, Cause I think it was just, he was a very forward thinking dude. Yeah. Um, and, and very respectful, but it was like this weird kind of like glib, like, you know, eh, that's what you get. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Like it's a weird ending. Yeah, and and like who would have thought that that would be what would happen? It's like yeah. I'd be more worried about DUI, not getting picked up by aliens and put into a little like uh, tiny town for <laughs> this little girl to play with. Yeah, by the way, and they, almost they, crush and in they don't. It's like, it's like basically the the equivalent of the kid bringing the goldfish home from the county fair mm. because they have the bowl. There's no food. <laughs> like, you know, like there was nothing sustainable oh, for them drinking like a fish. Is that what that <laughs> yeah. is? That the connected, yeah. if that the fish connection? hadn't been drunk, it wouldn't have got picked up. Uh. In a carnival. Uh, no. So like, it's, yeah, it's like, what was going to happen? It's like within a day or two, they'd be dead and be like, Oh, I need more people. And they'd be like, Oh, I guess I'll go over to, I'll go, I'll go to Boston to pick up a bunch of more drunk people. Oh, That's God. Like, um, St. Patrick Day is coming up. I'll find some, you know, whatever. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, that's that. <laughs> it's weird. Um, so yeah, uh, in terms of like notes, everything else, I do have a little bit of uh, information from our, our books here. Oh, I hit yeah. it, man. Okay. So uh, again, for my wonderful resource, I talk about this multiple times. It is a great book. It is the twilight zone mm-hmm. unlocking the door to a television classic by Martin Graham's jr. Not Earl Hamner jr. Easily um, accessible too, guys. You can find us on Amazon and everything. It's a great book. Um, so let's see here what I have here. Uh, Nancy Malone, uh, the, the lady who played Millie, she, uh, she said she liked doing the show. Rod was on the set and he wanted to make sure Barry and I were very comfortable. He told me he was working on an, a stage production of Requiem for a heavyweight for Broadway. I took advantage of the opportunity and told him I wanted to do something with him. And he remembered our meeting and my request because I got a large role for that stage production. So that's cool. Um, so I have a quote from, um, Uh, from Nelson and then from Hamner himself. Uh, This is from Nelson. It was a very quick shoot. Uh, In fact, most of the television was very quick. You'd had to, you try to put on 30 something episodes a year. I did a lot of television. I had a contract. I was a contract player at MGM for a while. Uh, So he he knew the back lots uh, because he was there all the time. Uh, They did not have to do much to prepare the script uh, because it called for everything to be fake. Um, the trees, the phone, the fake food. I remember they drove the car on the lot and, and having read the script, the part where it said I was to open the front hood and discover there was no engine underneath. I had to ask the director what I was supposed to do. He told me, don't worry about that. Just pretend you're trying to start the car and it won't turn. I said, yes, but the engine's still there. He told me they were going to capture a view of the missing engine later and have it inserted into the film. Well, I felt about two feet tall after he explained that to me. <laughs> like that he's like how am i supposed to find that there's an engine it's like we'll make it work because it's you know a tv show and everything else is fake i like it. he's like oh you have a point then um so hamner this is his quote i get asked about this episode all the time um people ask me where the idea came from he's like and i just i'm ashamed to say that i can never give a definitive answer i was writing scripts for the program and i guess i created it quickly and it sold and today it sold and today fans keep reminding me about that one so he doesn't even know why he wrote it Thanks, Hamner. And so I, I have to question: Did he not watch the pilot episode? Did he? I don't know. I like. I just. I mean, like, considering that we we just talked about Caesar me with producer William Frog, like just okaying and helping with his secretary write the script for Caesar and me. I forget her name off the top of my head right now. I apologize because she's the writer, not him, um, and she should get credit. Uh, but. Like he didn't like, how do you come in and produce a show and not like understand what came before, especially the anthology show? Cause you don't like whatever. So Adele, uh, stress filled. Okay. Stress-filled. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. So with that, with, with, it's, with the same thing with here, it's like, you think, um, especially with Hamner writing scripts from back as, as early as season three, that he would have been aware of what came before, you know? Like, I don't know. I mean, and you know, that's the, the first step in the series. If you have, have any idea, any inkling of what the show was trying to do, you probably wanted to see the pilot episode to be like, 
hmm, I'm not sure what Rod's trying to do with all of this. Let me see what he's, you know, like. Or even go up to, to Rod himself or like, you know, um, and be like, hey, what, what, what couple should I check out to get what you want me to do? You right. know, and and I'm sure Rod would have been like, I like you as a storyteller. Tell him like you, like, I think he would have been the first person to take the guardrails off of these writers that he likes and be like, just give me something and we'll see what we could do with it. Because I don't think he wanted to hem in people. So, but I think also you have a personal responsibility that if you're five years in, you, you, there, there's, there has to be a tone. Like, right. I mean, I understand the Twilight Zone is big and expansive and can have, um, you know, like this weird science fiction episode. And the one we just saw was like a the previous one was more of a, like it was pure suspense. And then the one before that was a weird dummy episode. Like, so it could be many things, right? But I still think that there is a format. Um, not a format, it's not the right, an expectation. And I think there's a playground that you can work in and tell really interesting Twilight Zone stories that feel like the Twilight Zone. And this one does. Um, but I don't know why Hamner wasn't aware of where is everybody. Yeah, I, I whatever. I mean, even if, even if he had never seen it and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to have those kinds of like things in the back of his mind and just write fluidly and just make his own mm-hmm. material. He got it really close to that episode without doing it. And well, I, I wonder if he'd be like, everybody's like, people ask me about leather, black leather jackets. And I go on at length about what inspired that episode. Like, come on. And he didn't say that. But I, he's like, oh, I remember that one. That one was I, like, I did quite well with that. Like, mm. no, I think we even got a quote for him saying he knew that wasn't a very good one. But yeah, just like, oh, you put out something very Twilight Zone uh, appropriate. I don't remember how I did it. But then again, he was asked years later, he'd already written 7,000 episodes of the Waltons. You know, I think only three of them had large space uh, babies grabbing the Waltons and moving them around. I don't think so. But that'd be funny. Like, you know, good night, John boy in space. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, like, oh, that's that, when you the, know the franchise is doomed. That bear was fake. You know, mm-hmm. Like whatever. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, the idea yeah, that's good. It was there. You know, this is, you know, it's not going to ever be like top of my list. Definitely not the bottom of my list. It was a good it, it, this is one though. This would be a good like um, uh, if someone isn't familiar with the Twilight Zone, be like, hey, just you know, if you dig the vibe of this, I have so much other things to show you. Like this is a good easy one just to get people into the mode of what it is. Going, yeah, you're going like full pinhead style. Like, oh. Yeah, have such delights. You know, yeah. the, the, <laughs> this is not like what I, I called one of those movies, the lamest configuration. One of those uh, Hellraisers. <laughs> like this is not the lamest configuration. Just this is a good. Uh, this is a good gateway drug into the rest of the Twilight Zone, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and, and like we were saying earlier, if this would have been like season one, season two, like this would have fit really, really clearly into like what they were doing and trying to get people involved. So I'm glad that they have an episode like this in season five, and we're coming to a close. You know, episode thirty, it's like we get an episode that is very clearly Twilight yeah. Zone, and that's great. And I'm like, I, had, I had a lot of fun with it. And, and you mentioned, like, I'm just going to throw this out here, too. Like, you mentioned seasons, like, you know, one, one two, or three. Uh, that was the producer for those. Um, oh, what was his name? I um, Shoot. He was the one that ran with um, Sterling for those first three seasons. Buck Houghton is yeah. his name. Uh, Buck Houghton actually had a pretty good hands-on understanding what Rod wanted. And Rod had more control, too. This is one of those scripts that I wish would have passed in front of them that this could have tightened it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like that could have been something like this is still fine. Like, but it just makes you wonder if this would have showed up during that creative period, like where this could have went, you know? So, but yeah, this was perfectly okay. Um, and it was, it's kind of a nice, it's kind of a nice, not palate cleanser, but it's kind of like a nice, like, ah, we only have a few more to go. At least it isn't going to be like, you know, it isn't going to be like potholes all along the way. That's isn't that bad. It's so bad. Like we're 30 episodes into the season. I'm just like, please just stick the landing in the next couple. That's what I, I want to end on a good note. You know, I want to end the season and the series on a good note. Um, so we'll see Hamner, you win this one. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're like really disappointed in yourself to be admitting that too. like, ah, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, like, you, damn it. You did it. Oh, I mean, the, the, these, this person, this person wrote a fair number of scripts for the twilight zone. He wrote eight more than I did, you know, like, so, and, and from all everything I've read about him, he seemed like a generally nice guy. So yeah. I can't, you know, but he, 
Yeah, some I'm not of trying ep- to. Some of his episodes are just crap, you know. Like, yeah. go go back and watch Piano in the House. Whatever was going on in that, I have no idea. Uh, and the Hunt. Ugh. Anyway, um, just, I I hate that Southern down home, whatever. But then the Hunt is full of it. But anyway, yeah, uh, that that's all I got for notes. Um, I guess I guess we just got to rate the twist and then um, you know, get on out of here. So here's that twist. <laughs> Uh, rating the twist one to five being one uh, and then five being like mind blowing. Um, just because, like I said, I, it tipped me off of my head. I, I thought this was where it was going, but being a first time watch, I didn't, I didn't know it until they showed it. You know, I'll get, I'll give this a four because for a Hamner episode, he, he left me like actually going, huh, you actually, you put me in an interesting place in the episode. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I don't want to give it a five, but let's say it's like a four point one. It, 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 edges, it edges past. Like I'm like I'm kind of along this uh, like the same like discussion with you as far as like we didn't expect much of this Hamner script. Um, we probably have seen certain things like this anyways, but whatever. Like my experience with it, it, it was it was surprising, but not like it didn't floor me like some of the other past episodes. So yeah. I can't give it the five, you know, but still pretty good. Pretty yeah. good twist. A uh, pretty good episode. So, uh, that's going to do it for our discussion about stop over at a quiet town or AKA tiny town, uh, terrors of tiny town. Uh, you guys can find us, uh, on uh, Facebook at strange highways. You can email us directly at strange highways, uh, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. It'd be greatly appreciated. And, you know, if, if you like this, I know, and if you've been with us for this journey, I, I know it's coming to an end soon. I appreciate that. But, you know, if, if you have friends that might be interested in this, let them, let them know. I think we have a lot of fun and, um, the more the merrier. And, uh, and Terry, how else can people find us? So we are on Instagram. Uh, so, you know, you just follow the same kind of, uh, uh, Strange Highways podcast on Instagram, and you'll find us. Uh, we're posting a lot of fun stuff on there. We're trying to get as uh, proactive as possible. Uh, it's been a weird past couple months uh, trying to catch up with things and that. We've been very busy. Life well, is accelerating just, it, well, right now. Because we, we, let's be honest, we, we got vaccinated so we can go back outside now uh, as opposed to being stuck in our model homes eating yeah. fake food. Uh, and riding the same train in circles and circles and circles. All like, so the, like, we're able to go out and interact again. So suddenly, um, you know, it just gets the, and plus it's the summer. Yeah. Like, and we, we didn't have a summer last summer, so it's a little crazy right now. Yeah. We're trying to play catch and, up and I hope everybody's enjoying their summer and being safe and, you know, taking proper precautions. Yeah. Know. So, uh, thank you guys for reaching out to us yeah. when you do. And that, uh, uh, more recently had, uh, listener of show bill criticized me on something that I was wrong yeah. about. Uh, thank you, bill for reaching out. Uh, yes. So uh, the lead singer of Journey is Steve Perry. The guitarist of Aerosmith is Joe Perry. So, yes, uh, I owned up to that. Uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, you're a dick. And, and, uh, <laughs> and the lawyer is Perry Mason. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, if you guys like the show, like Paul says all the time, rate and review us. Uh, reach out to your friends. Tell them if they dig it, we're not ending this. This road is not over yet we're no, going we, we're going to no, continue yeah, on we, we got we, some plans in the future guys and if you like horror films they are not a sponsor of the podcast but i am going to continue my journey through the horror scape of that is the world and going to a different state this time and i'm going to indianapolis to visit days of the dead uh it's going to be july 16th through the 18th so if you're listening to this uh please check out the the con uh they do have Four other cons around the United States. Again, not a sponsor, but um, this time around, I will see Richard Dreyfus, Alice Cooper, the main reason I'm going. And not, well, Richard Dreyfus, really? He's going to be there? Richard Dreyfus oh, wow. will be there, yes. How much does it cost for him to be nice to you? Because like, I, I have a feeling that he is there for the money. And I hope he's I hope he's a wonderful guy in person. Just something tells me he's kind of a jerk. Well, <laughs> like, I hope he's not. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it. Are you Paul, getting your but, copy of What About Bob signed? Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to get something from Jaws. Oh, I, I have okay. to, man. But okay. uh, not, not Krippendorf's tribe. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's it's an okay film. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, and and hey, could you sign this as the narrator to stand by me? You weren't in the film, but could you sign this, please? Yeah, lots of celebrities. Uh, you know, the one that maybe our fans might be interested in, Butch Patrick will be there from the Monsters. So, oh. and I'm excited to meet him finally. But you said Alice Cooper's going to be there too, okay. uh, dude. I'm stoked. That's awesome. That I've got to get. I'm going to get my machete signed by him. Uh, I have the cast members from. Uh, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives on there. So Tom McLaughlin, the director, is on there. Uh, Tom Matthews is on there. And I have to get Alice Cooper on there, man, because he was in the music videos. He had three songs on the soundtrack. Yeah. I am stoked. I watched nice. Wayne's World just the other night to get you even more to. stoked. Yeah. Man. You know, I just, I just, he has to tell you about uh, Milwaukee and it's three socialist mirrors, you know? So that's awesome. Yeah. So Terry's going to be at a con uh, doing con things. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to be, um, I would just, I would just be visiting. So if anybody's looking for a booth or anything, I would just be visiting. <laughs> I'll be the guy with the beard. Try to find me. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be wearing a black shirt, a black horror related shirt. And he has a beard with a vest. Yeah, and and yeah. See if you can find me. <laughs> There should be like a Where's Waldo, but it's like that of all, it's like a conventional horror convention, but Waldo is just, he's still Waldo and he's like easily seen in every I'll photo. Have the, I'll have the most attractive woman on my shoulder. So we'll see if anybody can find me then. There that, you go. Yeah. There. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, you guys could, like I said, uh, you, Terry, Terry's been to a con. I hope he has a lot of fun. Um, also too, uh, he uh, recently made an appearance on the other show that I do, Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, he came on to talk to Steve and I about uh, the George Romero film uh, Martin, which we just did that episode last week. And it was a very fun discussion. So if you guys want more horror-related talks, uh, check out that episode because um, we're, we're, we stumbled into this uh, four-week thing of doing vampire stuff. And so whatever. It's, it's weird. It's fun. Go check that out. Yeah, check that. Check those guys out over there. Uh, Paul and Steve do a great job on that podcast, and I really appreciate you guys having me on there. And to talk about especially the late, great George Romero, who I, my undying affection, uh, no. Affection. Affection. If you said my undying affliction, you're like, I'd get that checked out uh, by, by a doctor. <laughs> uh, love the guy, and uh, loving I love having conversations about his films and that, and it's it's always a blast. And you guys, again, do a great job over there. Oh, well, thank you. So that, yeah, there you go. That's all the plugs for all the things. Uh, so next week's episode is um, the encounter. Uh, normally, uh, we have a uh, Serling teasing the next episode, but for whatever reason, I don't, I couldn't find that audio. And then according to my books that they usually have it all written out, there wasn't a teaser for this episode. So Terry found a description of what the encounter is on IMDb. And, and so Terry, what, what is the encounter? What can we, what can we expect? I'm, I'm not going to try to do the Serling thing. So here we go. So uh, post World War II, Hawaii, two men of once opposing races are stuck in an attic full of war trophies, including a samurai sword awaiting dolefully avenge its slain master. All right. So there we go. It has uh, George Takei in it. So that will be, uh, I've been looking forward to this one just because it's like, it's another Star Trek connection because there's been a lot of Star Trek that's been through this. And also, you know, like I like talking about people in the present tense and Takei's still out there uh, doing, you know, uh, all great things. So, uh, and also dealing with like, it sounds like um, the, <laughs> you know, Pearl Harbor and war. And, uh, it sounds like there's probably some, some racism that's going to be faced against. Like there, there's going to be a lot of meat to this episode, I believe. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be heavy. So. Yeah. So that this will be, this will be a good one to get into. So yeah, it's going to do it for us this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, I, I just, you know, I got nothing other than like, you know, I mean, don't drive drunk, but if you do, um, like, uh, I don't know. Don't get picked up by alien guys. It's going to take you home to a tiny town. Watch out for those kids. what you've just seen is clear. If you drink, don't drive. And if your wife has had a couple, she shouldn't drive either. You might both just wake up with a whale of a headache in a deserted village in the Twilight Zone. (laughs) 